Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> there is service tonight here. This is the hill. As you know, Baltimore is the castle. And if you've ever seen our building up there, it looks like a castle. And so we, Baltimore's the castle and this is the hill. Uh, just so happens to be this hill literally is one of the highest places in Anne County by the topographical maps. So it is a hill. Praise God. And uh, we have service tonight at 6, and uh, I will be ministering tonight also. So you're welcome to come. I'm going to say this before I begin. This is part A. Tonight is part B. Now, if you're like me, you don't like half of anything. That's how I got to looking like I was looking. I don't like, and, and I'm task oriented and I like to finish things I start. I like to. I don't always do that, but I like to. Including if you open a patch, package of cookies, how can you not finish what you start, right? So, and um, that's why I'm not eating cookies because I like to finish what I start. So, but this is. This morning is half of this word from God. I'm going to say it just like that. This morning is half of it. And uh, I have a, a lot of scripture. And again, as I said, uh, I recorded, you, didn't, you don't know this, but in our new video studio, I recorded 30 lessons this week. And so my voice has been used a lot. So as soon as he is done, I'm ready to sit down. So just understand this, okay? I, I don't want to, I, I pray this way, and I mean this with everything in me. I pray this regularly, especially before I minister. Lord, I am willing to suffer anything for what you want to say, but I don't want to suffer anything at all for what I would choose to say. So therefore, by your grace, enable me not to say what I want to say, nor the way I want to say it, but let me be your conduit that you would speak through me. That is my goal in life. That is my prayer. That's been what I'm doing for, by the grace of God for 51 years now. And so that's what I'm going to do today. Uh, I can't tell you how important this word is to you as a person. I have no way to tell you how much I wish I would have understood these things 61 years ago, of uh, 62 in February, when I first received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I can't tell you how much it would have helped me not to struggle and how much it would have helped me to have believed how much God loved me. The scripture says, the scripture says, uh, we love him because he first loved us. First John four nineteen. We love him because he first loved us. Now, You'll hear preachers preach that God loves the whole world. That's not true. 
He does not love the whole world. He only offers his love to the whole world. But one of the fundamental principles of love is you are not loved until you receive the love that's being offered. That's why some people say, well, God doesn't love me. That's because you're not letting him. Some people are willing for God to love them on their terms. Sorry. He's God. We're not. So he's not going to love us on our terms. So if I want to be loved by God, it has to be on his terms. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If we say, first, that's John, the gospel of John. First John says, if we say we love him and do not his commandments, then we're liars. And the truth is not in us. Isn't that amazing that the the apostle of love would make such pointed comments? Because in our world today, love is you never tell people what they need to hear. You tell them what they want to hear. And that's a lie. That's not love at all. I don't know about you, but I don't like being lied to. I don't like being lied to. I'd rather deal with the unvarnished, difficult to hear truth than somebody lie to me. Tell me what they think I want to hear. Well, what I want to hear is the truth, not what you think I want to hear. I want to hear the truth, and I want to tell the truth. And so uh, Jesus said, I mean, John, you know, the Spirit of Jesus through the Apostle John said, First John 2, if we say we love him and do not his commandments, we're liars and the truth is not in us. And so... The problem is, as human beings, uh, loving God is not an event. It's a process. So I come to God, and he forgives me of my sins, and I begin to have faith and relationship with him. It's a process. My wife and I will have been married 51 years and just... A few days, and uh, I thought I loved her when we got married. I thought I did. In fact, quite frankly, in all the scores and scores of marriages that I personally have officiated in, in the time I've been here in this church, I've never married two people yet that were truly in love. I married a lot of people that thought they were. Because you can't love somebody you don't know. And until you've lived with somebody, you don't know them. Oh, but that's not all. We've had people come to church that have been living together for years. Happily so, they say. They get saved. They realize that the Word of God teaches that's not acceptable with God. So they get married. And it's not long till they have problems. 
And you go, wait, we were happy before. And now we're Christians and we got married like God tells us to and we're not happy. Why? Because when you're just shacking up, that, that the, the only thing necessary to dis- dissolve that union is one packs their stuff and leaves. That's it. No fuss, no muss. They just leave. So therefore, when you're aware that the person you're living with can leave at no cost at any time, you're never really yourself. But when there's a vow involved, a commitment involved, and you finally have to begin to be yourself, you go, who is this person I'm married to? And they look at you and said, well, I don't know you either. So it's a process to get to know one another. And it is an unending process. We were in a situation where we were needing to get some things because of some plans we've got. And, and I was trying to be helpful. So I ordered some things I thought she would like. And I found out when they got to the house and I opened the packages that she didn't like them at all. Now, 50 years ago, I would have been offended by that. 50 years later, I'm not. Because she is her own person, has a right to her own tastes. And the fact that I guessed wrong is on me. So rather than getting offended, I said, okay, well, let's fix this. Let's fix this. Now, the good thing is my mistake moved her to do what she was procrastinating. It worked. Because I'm the fastest decider in the West. I've never seen a decision in my life I was afraid to make which is one of my biggest problems between me and Jesus. Because he's had to, and I say this very kindly, he's had to beat that out of me. Because my personality and nature is very comfortable making decisions. And I spent four years being trained how to be a professional decision maker. That's exactly what the the academy is intended to do is teach you how to be a professional decision maker. So you take my personality and then you give it training. Well, you know, because a good decision maker is not afraid to be wrong. It's the folks that are afraid to be wrong that are poor decision makers. And uh, it's not a bad thing to be a poor decision maker. Okay. Because some people are just innately cautious and, They want to make sure they're never wrong. Well, hey, you know, some things you're wrong about, you can fix. Some things you can't. But, you know, (laughs) so sometimes I have to do what I have to do to just kind of nudge. And it's okay with me to be wrong if we kind of get going in the direction that I think we need to go. (laughs) 
You, you heard that, right? You heard it just, that, I said it just like I meant it. That doesn't mean that's the direction we should go, but it, at least uh, we get moving. You know, there's one thing I learned in the Navy. You cannot steer a ship tied up to the pier. It's, you can't do it. You can spin that, that helm all you want. And that ship actually may be, uh, the engines may be running, and the rudder might actually swing from side to side. You can do that to your heart's content. But nothing changes. So if you want God's guidance in your life, the first thing we do in moving is to come to him and surrender. So because of all of this, because of this, because the one thing that humans have that nothing else in nature was given by God I don't know where the evolutionists claim this came from. Because it's the only thing in humans that's absolutely like deity. He gave us the power to choose. And every day our lives are full of choices. The problem is, of course, that when we make wrong choices, call them decisions, call it whatever you like, wrong choices, there are consequences for those choices. And the problem we have in the world today is no one wants to be, and that's a rhetorical question because there's always exceptions to a statement like that. So it's called hyperbole. I'm making a statement that is not literally true for the purpose of emphasis. Got it? So don't get defensive. But (laughs) But in our world today, it seems like no one wants to be accountable For their decisions. Well, that's not totally true. We want to take all the credit for our good choices and none of the blame and responsibility for our bad choices. But there is a God. He did create us. He did give us the power to choose. Why did he do that? Because love Biblical love is a choice first. It's not emotion first. It's choice first. There may be some emotion with biblical love. God is love. He has power. He has authority. He is love. And he is agape. That's the Greek word that's not found in classical Greek. It's only found in the New Testament. And it was brought into existence by the Holy Ghost to describe something that the natural minds of the Greeks could not comprehend. It is a totally selfless love that is given to us, that is offered to us without reservation. He made the choice to offer this love to us. We, we must then make the choice to receive that love, to believe that love, to embrace that love. Because once we do, 
the love of God in us and working in us is not going to leave us like we are. So when Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, I'm going to paraphrase that another way. If I have received, believed, and uh, if I have received, believed, and have and I'm allowing the love of God to work in me. The love of God in me will automatically work in me if I allow it to begin to, to give me the desires to do those things that please Him and to empower me to do those things that please Him. If I'm trying to do this, this I mean, this is, this is the church, this is The building we call the church, but it's not the church. It's the building where the church meets, this part of the church meets. So if we do this without the love of God being the reason, the motive, and the empowerment behind it, then we're doing nothing but participating in religion. And religion does nothing but deceive Because religion says if you do this and don't do this, and it's about obligations, now are there shalls and shall not in the Bible? Absolutely. But if I'm only doing this out of obligation, out of fear, and The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. But God never intends us to be Christians out of fear. That's why the first and greatest commandment is to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of this has to be based on love. Uh, have you ever wondered why there was what's called an Old Testament? The Old Testament is, God says, thou shalt, thou shalt not. And he said to man, do it. And he spent 2,000 years proving to man that man can't do it himself. So if the rule, if, if, if religion is doing good and not doing bad, and that's our motive and we're trying to do that, we're no more successful at that than the Israelites were. They didn't succeed. You're not going to either. I don't either. Without the love of God working in my life to empower me to do what I cannot do myself, I will never keep the commandments of God. But here's the problem. (laughs) The love of God can't work in me if I don't desire a relationship with God. That's why the scripture says, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, But seek ye first, excuse me, uh, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. There has to be a focus in life. There has to be a purpose. Now, I will say this to you. I have, uh, again, performed a lot of marriages, and I've watched some that worked and some that didn't. The ones that worked, they worked at it. They worked at building a relationship between each other. And God has designed all of this such that I can never fully know her and she can never fully know me so that there is never a point in time I should be bored. Because if I want to love her, then I want to know her. And if I, if I grow to know her, I will love her. Why? 
Because as I let God work in my life, in this marriage, He will open my eyes and let me see her like He does. And He loves her. And He lets me see why He loves her. And when I see her with His eyes and love her with her His love, it changes everything. But if I'm trying to love somebody by human love, then that human love has expectations that says, I will continue to love you if, if you meet my expectations. So when Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, he, was, he wasn't saying, uh, I, I want you to do these things to love me. He was saying, if you love me, and I'm paraphrasing now, you will be able to keep my commandments because my commandments are going to work, my love is going to work in you to enable you to do that. That's why I can't speak for you, but I'm telling you for me. The entire 51 years, or 49 years that I've been in this city, there's never been a point in time that the motive was to get people to become a part of a particular religion or denomination because it's not about religion. It's about knowing and having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the goal. Now, sometimes, sometimes ministers have to teach or preach things that sound like, they sound like that You're telling me I have to do this. You're telling me I can't do that. No, no. I'm telling you that if I desire to please God, then I will do this and I won't do that. So what if I'm not doing what I should do and I am doing what I shouldn't do? What does that mean? That means that that's supposed to be an indicator to us that there's something lacking still in our relationship with God. Because the only way to fix that is to let the Lord speak to us about ourselves so we can see what it is that's lacking. I'll just give you a perfect example here. Here's, here's, <laughs> this is the kind of thing you won't hear preached on TV because they wouldn't get enough money in to be able to pay for their broadcasts. For instance, when Paul said very clearly, we are not our own, we are bought with a price. But how often do we say words like, I will, I want, I like? How often do we do that? What does that really say? What if what I will is not what God wills? What if what I want is not what God wants? What if what I like is not, is contrary to what God likes? What if that's the case? Well, how can I say that I am truly a Christian when I live according to my will, not his, my wants, not his, my likes, not his? Now, hey, whoa, 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 what is this a cult? No, because you don't belong to me. You don't belong to this church. You belong to God. We don't have spy cameras in your house to find out how you live. That's between you and God. He's there. This is between you and him. Now, nowadays, you don't have to even use discernment to find out how people are living. They're going to tell you that on social media. You know, 
Some of you precious ones have posted pictures on social media. Go, what are you thinking? What in the world are you thinking? You post it on social media and you don't realize you just told the world? You told the whole world. So whatever I put on social media, I'm telling the whole world. And how many people in just the last year or so, important people, that somebody went back and dug up tweets and posts they made when they were kids. And all of a sudden now they're not qualified. Because in the world we're in right now, you don't ever make a mistake and get past it. There's no such thing as forgiveness. There's no chance to grow. There's no chance to change. If you're paying attention, that's the whole attitude of this world. If you've ever been prejudiced, you're always prejudiced. There's no way to change that. Nobody believes you changed. And so I've heard people try to explain, I was a stupid kid. I was just trying to hang with a group I was with. I said some stupid stuff. That's not who I am. Nope, forget that. Well, (laughs) on this property, when you walk through those doors, and when God is supreme here, there is no past. There's only a present and a future. Amen. You say, that's not possible. Yeah, you're right. In this world, it's obviously not possible. But in God. In the world, there are illegitimate children. Who were conceived out of wedlock. But once you're saved, there's nothing illegitimate about you at all. Because he becomes your father. And the Bible says the church is your mother. And you are now legitimate. But the world doesn't offer that. So the only way they do that is they begin to call evil good and good evil. That's the prophecy of scripture that we get there. Man, that's bad. We mean good. Or, hey, that's wicked. Meaning, that's really pretty cool, isn't it? Right. But we don't say the positive. Isn't it amazing that we want to say something positive about something today? The terminology used today is negative. Isn't that amazing? How did we get to the place that we use negative terms to describe the positive? Because the scripture says this generation would be despisers of them that are good. So the only way to brag about something is to use negative terms. Oh, Lord, have mercy. What am I about to do? Oh, Jesus, help us. Oh, come on. Praise God. All right. I'll just go this far. If it's wrong for me to use the N-word, it's offensive to me when anybody here calls anybody else that or anybody in the world calls anybody that. Well, we have a right. You don't have a right. You don't have a right. That is an offensive word for anybody to use. 
Now calm down again. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? In the kingdom of God, we who were not a people are made a people. We weren't a people. Only the Spirit of God can do this. Laws can't do this. Culture can't do this. Only God can do this. And how does God do this? He does it by His love. And what does love do? Love causes me to see you, not categorize you. Love causes me to accept you, not classify you. The Word of God says if I'm going to say something, it needs to be edifying. If what I say to you in any setting or scenario is not edifying, I need to keep my mouth shut. It's bad enough to think it. What does that have to do with church? It has everything to do. Everything to do. Everything to do. You know why? Because heaven is not going to be segregated off like churches are today. Heaven's not going to be like that. It's going to be one heaven. And if we can't love each other enough to go to church with one another here, how are we going to go to heaven with each other forever? If we don't let the Holy Ghost teach us how to love one another here, how in the world are we going to be able to love one another forever? How? How? See, the problem is here. I'm not talking about social situations. Because you can try to fix all the social situations you want. All the cultural situations you want. But until a man's heart changes. I can say all the right things and feel all the wrong things. I can learn the language. Now I grew up speaking English. I am bilingual. I speak in tongues also. But. I studied French in school, both high school and college. We, oui. non, merci beaucoup. I don't have the gift of languages. I can read it and write it. I got perfect scores reading and writing, but I could not understand it when it was spoken to me. And when they started doing the tests, asking the questions in French, and I had to write the answer down, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I don't know how I passed that class. But here we are. You know, they did not obey God after the flood. He said, Go forth and replenish the earth. And they all stayed in one spot. And they decided they weren't going to let God ever, ever cause a flood again. So they built a tower. And the motive for the tower was not to worship. It was to make them immune from God's dealing with them. And so he came down and confounded the languages. And languages divide if we allow them to. Praise God. Languages divide if we allow them to. 
And language divides even if we're both speaking the same, technically the same language. Language divides. The words I choose to use divide. So what, what do I do? What do I do as a, as, as a person that is not, <laughs> is not willing to allow the world to dictate to me what's right and wrong. Do you know how many different things I would have believed were right if every time the world changed and said, this is okay, I would agree with it? Phew. How exhausting is that to, to do that? And, you know, okay, is salt bad for me or good for me? Well, it depends on what, which way the wind's blowing today. Because this article comes out, it's bad for you. This article comes out and says it's good for you. This article says eggs are good for you. This article says eggs are bad for you. This article says don't eat this. This article says you need to eat this. You know it's true. It's true. Now, maybe some of you are slim enough you hadn't had to worry about this yet. But keep turning the calendar pages and things change. They change. It's really amazing is you don't see you yourself change. But I watch my sons and I watch the change. You know, you can tell when somebody's growing up and become is becoming balanced. Because they develop a bubble in the middle. That's all I'll say about that. And I'm watching that. I'm watching that. I'm watching it. I've got one that he goes to the gym almost every day. And his shoulders keep getting wider. But with all of that, there's just this, he's almost 40 now. And there's this little bulge. And I'm thinking, okay, so your shoulders and chest are really developing, but you're obviously not doing anything with your abdomen because you don't have a six-pack, you have a one-pack. Now, somebody's going to be kind and tell him I said that. It's true. It's true. It's true. And the problem is, the problem is, he said this to me the other day. He said, you know, it's really hard to follow baseball when they talk about 35-year-olds being old, and I'm 39. I remember when Nolan Ryan was pitching at 45, and I'm able to tell myself, see, I'm not old, because he and I are pretty much the same age. I'm not old. Look how well he's doing. He's 45. I could still do this if I had to. Yeah, right. What, what are we doing? What happens when, when you transition from having a faith that's just, okay, I, I really don't want to be lost. I don't know what that means, but I don't want to be lost. I don't want to go to hell. I don't know what that means, but I really don't want to go to hell. What happens when you stop participating in this out of tradition and religious reverence and all of a sudden, it kind of dawns on you, there really is somebody there. The fact I can't see him is a tremendous advantage because 
he can then be everywhere so that I don't ever have to be separated from him. I don't have to be. Uh, maybe I need to read some scriptures so you'll know that I've been ministering for the last half hour. Okay. It's face ID, and so I had to let it see my face. Uh, Isaiah 64. I'm going to read several verses here, and uh, you'll have to keep up with me on the screen because I'm going to read off my iPad. Isaiah 64, verse 1 says, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. As when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst tremble, excuse me, when thou didst terrible things, in the King James English, terrible here is not horrible. It's not, they're not synonyms. Terrible means he demonstrated him, his power it, to such a degree that finite human beings are in so in awe of it that if you're not where you need to be with God, it produces some terror. Okay? Uh, when thou didst terrible things which we look not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. You know what that sounds like? And he's describing an erupting volcano. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for them that waiteth for him. This word wait here is a, it's an amazing word. It uh, it literally means literally means to entwine. It speaks of something similar to a vine that wraps itself around an oak tree, and that vine then becomes as strong as the oak as long as it's waiting or entwined around the oak. You and I will never be the oak. He's the oak, but we can wait on God. We can pursue God. And the word waiting here is not just speaking about patience. It's speaking about attending. It's more along the line of someone who is waiting on your table serving you than it is about somebody who's being patient with you. So when I'm waiting on God, I am serving God. I'm attending to to, to God. I'm attending to my relationship with God. And he and I become intertwined so that he as the oak and me as the vine, I can become as strong as the oak because of my relationship with the oak. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard. Now this verse is quoted in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. In the uh, in the uh, New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it's around verse uh, 8 or 9, maybe 10, somewhere in there. Paul is quoting this. It says, But I hath not seen, neither ear heard, neither is entered in the heart of man, the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. So when Paul is quoting this verse, the, the, the Old Testament says, 
him that waiteth for him. But Paul in the New Testament tells you the motive behind the waiting. It's loving God and wanting to love God and wanting to be, to know God and be, and to be, and to, to let God's strength become your strength. To let His power become your power. To let what He's able to do become your empowerment to be able to do those things also. And so the next verse says, Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness. Those that remember thee in thy ways, behold, thou art wroth. For we have sinned. In those is continuance, and we shall be saved. Verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing. And all of our, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Or can I put it this way? Our there would be a, a good substitute for that in our terminology would be self-righteousness. All our self-righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We are, we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou art our, thou our potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. Now, as you probably know to some degree or other, Sometimes the potter starts with a lump of clay on their wheel as it's turning. And sometimes there's a flaw in that lump. Or that lump just doesn't turn out like the potter wanted. So he just collapses it all down. And sometimes he starts over. Sometimes the clay is not of the right consistency. Sometimes there's there's flaws in the clay. Stuff is in the that's that he didn't know was in the clay that keeps that clay from being workable. So then that clay is cast aside because it will not respond to the fingers of the potter shaping it and molding it. And so Jeremiah says, "You're the potter. We're the clay. And we are all the work of thy hand." And you can hear me now and receive this or not receive me, but receive this, but I'm telling you right now. Whether you know it or not, whether I know it or not, whether the world accepts it or not, whether anybody accepts it or not, according to the word of God, every one of us is a lump of clay on our father's potter's wheel. And so the question comes down to this. What is my response as clay to the fingers of the potter? How many of you are, don't raise your hands please. How many of you are under stress and pressure over something right now? It may be big to you, but it would be considered small to somebody else. But it doesn't matter what they think about it. If it's big enough to be causing you stress, pressure, or care, what does that mean is going on in your life? What does that mean? It means the potter's at work. The fingers of the potter, so very 
deliberately and so very purposefully. Puts pressure with fingers here and there to shape that lump of clay as it's spinning. That's why sometimes we go, my world is just spinning around and around. It sure is. And I'm under pressure. You sure are. And what is the purpose? The Father who loves every one of us the same is simply trying to determine who is going to respond to his shaping them according to his plan and purpose. You see, here's the thing that very few truly accept. And that is... Before egg and sperm came together in my mother's womb, God had a plan for me. He knew me before I existed. He had a plan for my life, a place for me in Him. A plan, a purpose. One elder of mine many years ago said that uh, the judgment seat is going to be God laying out the uh, a map of how you lived each day, and then he lays his transparency down over it the way he planned it. And so judgment is going to be how close I came to living according to that plan. And you know, I know, I know what flesh and humanity says. I don't like that. Well, okay, because I understand what that means to you from your perspective is that you want to run your own life. How's that working out for you? Really? How's it working out to run your own life? The biggest lie any humans ever told themselves is I'm in control. I how can you be in control when you don't know where you're going to be in the next five minutes? You don't know if there's going to be a fire alarm go off here or some other emergency happen. We don't know if there's going to be a sudden tornado show up or, or whatever. Or maybe you just drift off to sleep and somebody lets you sit there sleep while an empty building empties. I remember I was, I think I was a senior in high school and, uh, my mother asked me to go to the commissary with her. To shop. And at the time, I really wasn't where I was at peace between the Lord and I. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Uh, she asked me to go get something, and she went down this aisle, and I went over there to get that to bring it back to the cart. When I came back, she wasn't in that aisle. And at first, it was no big deal. So so I, I walked the aisles, and I... I I walked and walked and walked and walked and walked and I walked fast because she's short and she was short and she couldn't walk that fast and she was shopping. She was deliberate and I'm in a hurry and I can't find her anywhere. And I go out to the car to see if she's, I missed, missed her somehow. She went out to the car. She wasn't out the car. I went in, back inside the commissary and I, I looked and looked and looked. I, I don't remember how long it was, but it was long enough that I became frantic because I thought the rapture had taken place and I was left. And it sounds funny now, but I want you to know it wasn't funny then at all. 
And all of a sudden, while I'm walking looking for her, I'm thinking of all the things I have been involved in that I shouldn't have been involved in and knew I shouldn't have been involved in. And all of a sudden, what I thought I was gaining by being involved with those things weren't worth it at all. Why? To be in danger of missing out on eternity with the Lord and going to hell forever? Those things became really, really, really unimportant. And I have never forgotten that feeling. Never forgotten that feeling. Well, I still have that awareness, but things changed. The scripture says, how does it read? There is none that calleth upon thy name. There's none that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. No, that's, that's true. If you have any desire for God at all, if you have any desire for faith at all, if you have any desire to know God at all, to be loved by Him at all, you can't take responsibility of that. He put the seed of that in you. His fingers are working to try to shape you. The question is, what's your, what's your response to that? Well, I know what a lot of people's response is. I've been there, done that. Response is murmuring, complaining, fault finding. You know, some people say, I don't want to go to church. They put you on a guilt trip. <laughs> if you didn't have trip of guilt before you came here, there's no, nothing we could do to put you on a guilt trip. So what, what's really the truth is the preaching and the presence of God just points out to you that you've got guilt because you know deep inside of you that the way you're living is not pleasing to God. But, okay, so here's the response. The response is, get me off this wheel. I don't like you being in control of my life, and I don't like your pressures on me. Get me off. And that's your choice. And if that's what you want, if that's really what you want, he will accommodate that. The scripture says that he gives us three score and ten if, if by reason of strength four score. Well, I, fa- I passed the first part. And I'm working on that next ten. And I want to tell you something right now. And the older folks in this room can absolutely agree with this. I don't know where it's gone. I don't know where it's gone. Number 73, I cannot grasp that number as an identifier for me. I can't. That's not the way I see myself in here. That's not the way I feel. I don't have any feeling of completion. The things that I have been a child of God believing for to be a part of all my life, most of those are still to come. They still haven't happened. And I believe I have promises that I'm going to live to be a part of that. So I, the, 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 the number 73, I'm not winding down. I'm not finishing up. And so that number has no meaning to me. And as long as he gives me life and health and strength so that I can live by that, fine. But 49 years, this coming September, will be 50 years 
on September the 12th. Since my wife and I first drove in this town as a 24-year-old kid with a 19-year-old wife married less than two years. At the time, it didn't seem all that unusual to me that God would choose. <laughs> she was raised in a pastor's home. I wasn't. I'd never pastored. I'd only had my ministerial license two years. I wouldn't even, wasn't, wasn't even going to be ordained until the f- seven months after I got here, the next year. It didn't seem all that strange at the time that God would pick us, choose us, and send us here. But looking back on it, I go, oh God, you know, ignorance really is bliss. Because if I had any idea how inexperienced I really was, it would have scared me out of my mind. But God sent me. He did. And I came because He sent me. And the only thing you could do is live it one day at a time. But days collect into weeks, and weeks collect into months, and months collect into years, and years collect into decades, and decades collect into a lifetime. And then all of a sudden, you're looking back on that, not forward to near as much. And Paul said it this way, now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. And so, so I'm going to get off the wheel Because I don't want him shaping me into what his perfect plan for me is. And so we live our lives so caught up in the temporal. Caught up in the temporal. Business or job or work or, you know, what a routine. We go to bed so we can get up, so we can go to work, so we can have money to buy food and clothes and Maybe a little bit left over to have to do this or buy this or whatever. And then we spend our evenings entertaining ourselves because we deserve it after such a hard day. So we can go to bed and get up and do the same thing all over again. And we call that living. That's not God's plan. That's not living. That's existing. The gerbil on the wheel is living just as much as we are. And we look at him spinning in the wheel and we think, how you, how, what wasted effort? Don't you know, gerbil, that that wheel is just going round and round and no matter how fast you go, you're not going anywhere? Don't, aren't you getting that message, gerbil? Well, how about step back from your life and look what wheel you're on and tell me you're living. That's why Jesus said that he came to bring life and that more abundantly. I'm an observer of people. I study people all the time. Those I know, those I don't know. I'm watching when people don't know I'm watching. I'm not God. It's just just me. I I watch. I, I, I learn. And uh, with all the traveling the Lord's been having me do the last couple of years, I spend a lot of time at airports, and there's a lot of people to watch. Some you go, you must have been in a hurry because you didn't look in the mirror 
before you decided to go in public. Did you forget some stuff to put on? You must have forgot something. Surely you were in a hurry because you forgot your clothes. Unfortunately, that's just not female. It's male too. You go, oh God. You know, and, 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 you know, and I have the Holy Ghost and, and because like you, I have the Holy Ghost, which makes me somewhat sensitive in the spirit. And so you sit there and you watch people go by and I, I catch myself thinking, okay, what, what's up with you? What's up with you? What does that look mean? What is that feeling I'm getting off you? What does that mean? I'm just studying, learning, watching. Okay. Well, the thing about traveling, most people are traveling because they want to. Some are traveling because they have to. Some are traveling because of some tragedy and they're going to somebody sick or somebody died or whatever. That's, so that's a, sm- fair, a fairly small percentage. You can usually pick them out. Uh, but most people are traveling because they want to. And, you know, it's, they got, if you're in an airport, Theoretically, you've got a destination because you can't go to the gate anymore and see your loved one or a friend off. So if you're at the gate, you're going somewhere. You've got a destination. But even in that, you see the hollowness in the eyes, the the expression on the face, and you go, well, you may be going someplace, and hopefully it's someplace you want to go, but... Where's the joy in that? I mean, you know how rare it is to see somebody smile these days? In fact, if you sit around and smile, people are going to look at you like, okay, what is wrong with them? They're smiling. That's why we've said for years to Christians, if you have the joy of your, the Lord in your heart, please send your face the message. Right. Because nothing separates those that truly know God from those that don't. Like those that don't have to force a smile. You ever seen pictures of people that you knew that wasn't their smile? Mm-hmm. And they thought it was natural looking. You knew they did. You you knew they weren't hamming it up. You go, what? Are you kidding me? I'd rather have a photo that looks like it's a mug shot than that. So where's, where's the joy at? Where's the joy? Well, here it is. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. That was it. All that was the introduction. You ready? That, or let me put it this way. All that was the foundation. Now we'll, we'll build the house. It won't take as long. Zechariah 3 verse 1. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Speaking of this high priest. The most spiritual man in Israel, theoretically. 
He's standing there with the Lord on one hand and, the, and Satan on the other, resisting this man who is supposed to be the spiritual leader of Israel. And the Lord is saying to Satan, I rebuke you. This one is a brand plucked out of the fire. A brand is a, is a, is a stick of wood that's been in the fire and on fire, but pulled out of the fire and the fire's put out. That's where every one of us is. There's nobody going to go strutting into heaven and saying, Attention world. Attention heaven. I have arrived. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to do that. Verse 3. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. And stood before the angels. So you see the connection between this and, and uh, the uh, scriptures I read from Isaiah. All of our self-righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And here is the high priest of Israel standing before God. And he's wearing filthy clothes. So this is, this is figurative. It's not literal. And he's speaking... And, and the connection between the two is, it's self-righteousness. Verse 4. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. I don't know anything that in principle that tells you any more the purpose of what we're doing here. The Lord Jesus Christ has given himself on the cross to be able to take away these filthy rags and to give you a brand new robe of righteousness. Now why is that important? It's important for this reason. We have to understand what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. In both the Hebrew and the Greek, the, the word that is translated primarily as forgive is the word to release. And it means to release someone from the penalty of their guilt. So if I'm forgiven, I have been tried, convicted, and sentenced, but someone with the authority to do so has released me or pardoned me. And that's another definition of both the Hebrew and the Greek word for forgiveness. We've been pardoned. But here's the problem with being pardoned. All the evidence is still in the files. All the evidence of what I did was still in the files. All of the records of the, of the trial are still in the file, in my file. The verdict of the jury is still in the fire. The, the file, the, the sentence of the judge is still in the file. The only difference between me and other guilty is that someone with the authority to do so chose to pardon me and let me out of my penalty. That's it. Those that are still in prison, they're not worse than me. And I'm not better than them. I've been pardoned. So those that have been forgiven of their sins, they're not better than those that are still in their sins. And those still in their sins are not worse than them. The difference in the two is not the individual. 
The difference in the two is Jesus Christ and his love for us. Theoretically, somebody could be offered a pardon and they reject it. Maybe they feel guilty. Maybe they feel like they deserve to to serve that sentence. I, I realize that most people being pardoned in prison would take it in a heartbeat. But it is possible that somebody would do that. Because you know how I know that's possible? Because I watch it happen every day spiritually. I watch people that he is willing to pardon who will not accept it. That's why the bumper sticker is not believed by this world. Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. You want to know how to be a Christian? You don't ask somebody that's trying to be a Christian. You ask the ones that aren't. They are experts. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Those that aren't trying to be Christians, they're experts. They know exactly what a Christian's supposed to be and not supposed to be. And they've set themselves up as judge and jury on your performance in being a Christian or not being a Christian. It's easy to judge people for not being perfect when you're not even trying. Because anybody that wants to be a Christian, they know that this is impossible for the flesh. It's impossible. I can't do this. Jesus said it. Without me, you can do nothing. I can't do this. Sometimes it cracks me up. Sometimes it disappoints me. Sometimes it frustrates me out of my mind. Well, I can't live like the bishop. You are. (laughs) Because the difference in me when I'm doing it myself and the difference in me when God's doing it, just like you, that's the difference. And the fact that I don't post all of my struggles on Facebook. Just because I don't advertise to the world my shame, my guilt, doesn't mean I never have any. In fact, the scripture says, if we say we have no sin, we're liars and the truth's not in us. Because we need a Savior every day. I cannot do this myself. I've said this so many times. I've said it here before. Probably the last time I preached here. I need a Savior every day. You do too. The question is, are you letting the Savior work in your life every day? Wheel, fingers. Are you? Am I? Or maybe it goes even farther than that. Am I resisting and resenting being on His wheel? Feeling his fingers every day. So here's the problem. This is the problem. The problem is I have sinned. And I can't save myself. Because he that is guilty of one point of the law is guilty of the whole law. There's no way to fix my guilt by changing. Reformation doesn't work. I can't reform myself and it work. I have to be transformed. Religion reforms. But God transforms because I can attempt to reform myself. But only God has the power to transform me. And I like that word in the Greek. 
Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of mind. Prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. That word transformed there in the Greek is the word from which we get the scientific word metamorphosis. It's a caterpillar going into a cocoon and sometime later coming out a butterfly. That's one of the most amazing things you can ever observe in nature. I mean, it's one thing to start off as a... uh, Zygote, is that what it is? When the egg and sperm come together, turn into an embryo, and then become a fetus, a baby, a human. It's one thing for all that to happen in the womb. But for a caterpillar that was crawling around on a branch to go into a cocoon, and then some period of time later come out with wings and flying. You ever watch a caterpillar crawl? It's painfully slow. And they go from that to flying with the most beautiful wings. A couple of places we've been, we've had an opportunity to go into a, a, a butterfly place. And you walk among them. They've got, they got these airlocks and whatever so the butterflies can't get out. And you walk among them and you look at them and you see all these different... And you go, wow, that is amazing. But what's really amazing is some time ago they were just a caterpillar with a lot of wet legs crawl inching along. Now, you can try. <laughs> you can try to become a butterfly as a caterpillar without going into the cocoon. Not happening. It's not happening. And that cocoon is the work of God in our lives because he's the only one that can transform me from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Nobody else can do that. Nobody else can do that. So I'm, I'm pardoned. And in my being pardoned, the records are all still there. And we have an adversary. And how was, how was Satan resisting Joshua the high priest? How? Easy. He is the accuser of the brethren. And he accuses us to us. The Bible calls that condemnation. And this is what condemnation sounds like. You're hopeless. You're never going to get this right. I don't even know why you're trying. You might as well just give up. You're not as good as everybody else. You're never going to get this done. You're never going to be able to fix this. You cannot do this. You might as well just give up. That is never God talking to you. Never God talking to you. God never speaks to those he loves like that, and he loves all of us. And the Bible says it's not his will that any should perish. So there's not anybody, he says to them, ah, forget you. Now, the scripture says my spirit will not always strive with man. But when God stops dealing with you, you don't know it. He just gently backs away and leaves you to your will and yourself. Just backs away. I've had people come to me and say, well, I, I, I'm, I'm reprobate and God has rejected me and I can't be forgiven. If you're aware of that, you're not. Because those that are reprobate, they're not aware they're reprobate. It doesn't cross their mind 
It's that they have a reprobate mind. It doesn't cross their mind that they've convinced God to leave them alone. It doesn't cross their minds. In fact, here's the thing about that. It seems like things got better because they're no longer on the wheel. And there's no longer any pressure. That's why the scripture says, uh, the King James uses the word, uh, that we're all, the children of God are disciplined because the only person without chastisement are bastards, fatherless children, that some, those that don't have anybody involved. And if God is my father, and he loves me. He's going to correct me and teach me and work in my life and mold and shape me. When all of that stops, when the world stops spinning and all of a sudden everything feels okay and there's no problem whatsoever, that's not a good sign. It means God said, well, they don't want me having anything to do with them. They told me to leave them alone in so many words and I kept working with them, and they finally made a choice. I cannot violate their will in this life. They want me to leave them alone. I don't have any choice. And all of a sudden, David said it this way. When I beheld the wicked and their prosperity, my feet had well nigh slipped. Until I went into the sanctuary in the presence of God, and I saw their latter end. Then it all made sense. My life is full of trouble, David says, and everything is going their way. They don't have any problems. Everything's going their way. They're living it up. And I'm thinking, God, what profit is there for me to be belong to you and go through all of this stuff and look at the wicked, those that don't care anything about you, that mock you, that blaspheme you, and look at their lives. But when I come into the presence of God and I hear his word, then all of a sudden I go, wait, whoa, whoa. This is not the end. What I'm experiencing now and what their, what their life is like now is not the end. This is a temporary situation because the one who is working in my life loves me and he is preparing me for a purpose, an eternal purpose. And them, God's given up on them because they won't have anything to do with him. And then you have people rise up and say, no, that's not right. Oh, so you believe God should be forcing people against their will to be Christians? Well, no. Well, what's he supposed to do? We don't want him forcing us to do stuff against our will. But then when, when he responds to our choices, then there's something wrong with him? It's his fault either way, isn't it? See? It's his fault. Right? It's his fault. It's not us. We're these innocent victims. It's not our fault we made these choices, even when we were told what the consequence of those choices are going to be. It's not our fault. So you're not supposed to text and drive, and so you text and drive, and something bad happens, and it's God's fault. How could you let this happen? I make choices. I made choices. I made choices. The speed limit says... 50 and I'm driving 80 and I have a wreck and it's God's fault that he didn't protect me. Now, you can have a wreck at 50.
choices. So what's the difference between condemnation and conviction? Conviction is the Spirit of God through the Word of God speaking to us saying, I love you. This guilt you've got, this shame you've got, all this frustration with not being able to do what you you need to, I am here for you. I love you. I will help you if you will just let me. I want I want to give you hope. I want to help you. Will you not let me? Because in this life, somebody needs to be listening to me. In this life, God has limited himself. He cannot and will not violate your will. He can only do for you, to you, through you, with you, what you choose to allow him to. He cannot and will not violate your will. So, that's why I said in the very beginning of this, that the ability to choose makes us like deity. Because only God has that right to choose. I'll talk about that more tonight. So, how did God fix this? Glad you asked. He fixed it by changing their garment. Listen to this. Proverbs 10 and 12 says, Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. Psalms 32 and 1 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Paul quoted that in Romans this way. Romans 4, chapter chapter 4, verse 6. Even as David described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed uh, righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Psalms 85, verses 1 and 2 says, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all of their sin. Isaiah 51 But I am the Lord thy God that divideth the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in thy mouth, and I have covered thee in the shadow of my hand, that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth, and say unto Zion, Thou art my people. And finally, Isaiah 61 and 10 says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. He changes our clothes. And what's the purpose of that? The purpose of that is this. Jeremiah 31, 34. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. For from the least unto the greatest, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Isaiah 43 and 25. I, even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Hebrews 8 and verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. How? I asked him one day, how? How's this the case? 
He said, because I have put my righteousness upon you. And when I look at you, I only see my righteousness. He said, I've left the memory of your sins in you. So you will never forget that you did not and cannot save yourself. But when I look at you, I don't see your past. I see your present being covered with my righteousness. And you know what the word righteous, the root word, root meaning of the word righteousness, righteous is? Innocent. 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 I know I've covered a little bit of this here before, not too long ago. Innocent. God's trying to say something to you. Innocent. Now we have three congregations. This is called central for several reasons. We used to use the term mother church, but we don't do that anymore. But this is Antioch Central. This is the hill. This is the hub. Or excuse this really old-fashioned terminology, this is the bell cow. My mother's dad had a farm and he had cows on it. And there was one old cow that wore a bell. And the cows would follow her. And that might not sound very complimentary to you. But there's a reason why this congregation is fought. Because this congregation is supposed to lead the way. Now, Baltimore is in a different situation with you. So their structure and their ministry might be a little different. And Wes is in a completely different situation from you. They can't do what you do. I don't know why some of you can't figure that out. It's not unwillingness. They can't do it. Why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? Okay, just give us a couple of million dollars and we'll do it over there just like we do it here. Oh, you're not willing to do that, are you? But you want to sit back and judge. Well, West does this and West doesn't do that. You don't have a clue what you're talking about. There's nothing going on over there that's not run by me first and has my approval. And if you're criticizing that, then it's not them you're criticizing. You're telling me as the bishop, I don't know how to do my job. I don't know what you expect, how in the world we're going to rent a school auditorium and be able to do what you do here when you can come and go as you please. You don't question not whether or not the doors are going to be locked or if they're going to kick you out because of a school play. The whole month of March, they can't even have church. Did it this year, next year. They can't even have church because the school play takes priority. But why aren't they doing this or why aren't they doing that? Well, I got a feeling if you knew what all they were doing, you'd go, wow. They're doing more than we are. Because at least they have small groups that are working. The pastor told me it was hard to get you to go to small groups. Ooh. So it's really easy to judge folks are doing something you won't do. Have I said that clear enough? i tell you what. This is a congregation God's put you in. You make this the best and the most spiritually can be, and you leave everything else to God and me. That's my job. It's not your job. 
He called me to be the bishop, not you. Now, some of y'all are running your mouth. And I know, and I know who's running their mouths. And I love you, and I'm going to find out if you love me. Because if I hear... Fair warning. Fair warning. The next comment I hear where you're not minding your own business and taking care of your house, and you got all kind of time to talk about what somebody else is doing or not. You know what? If you're a male, you're going to feel this finger right here. If you're a female, I won't get too close. Let's see. That far. Is that far enough? Anybody here want to know what a, really want to know what a bishop is? Keep running your mouth and dividing the body and criticizing things you don't even know what you're talking about. Why? Because God hates those that sow discord among the brethren. Okay, got that done. Now let's go back to this. Praise God. I didn't even know I was going to get to do that today. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. I feel better. So how do I get this robe of righteousness? Here's how I get. Uh, we're laughing now. Yeah, we are. It's transition back to what I'm trying to say. Okay. All right. Do not. I beg of you. Don't do what I don't want to. Don't force me to do what I don't want to do. But I'm not afraid to do. Don't mistake the two. Do not mistake. (laughs) There's a few folks you can ask around here what that means. Do not mistake the two. Because we cannot be one body when people won't mind their own business. You take care of your house. You walk into church whenever you feel like it. They got to set everything up and take it down every day. They can't have a two-hour service. It's a four-hour service because it takes all that time to set everything up. Then they have church, and then they have to put it all away. Every service. And we walk in here and just plop down on these very... And those are on metal folding chairs. And you're sitting on these comfortable seats, and you're complaining about how long you sit here. Go over there when I preach. You have to raise the dead. At least parts of them that are dead. It's easy to complain and criticize people when you don't know what you're talking about. Well, I, I see this and I don't see, you know, okay, so you do. Yeah. It might shock you to know that West has ministry going on probably six days a week. Oh, yes, they do. Yes, they do. How many days a week are you participating in ministry? Oh, okay. Okay, back. I, I, here we are. I, I, I gotta go because all your pumpkins are all your cars are going to turn, turn into pumpkins at noon. And, and I don't want anybody hiking home, dragging their pumpkin behind them. Galatians 3, verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as has been, as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Huh? 
For as many as you have been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. What am I putting on? I'm putting on Christ's righteousness. Ephesians chapter 4 says it this way. Verse uh, verse 22. That you put off concerning the former conversation. And that's King James English 1611 for lifestyle. It's not... Word said, but it's the entire lifestyle. That you put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So when I put on Christ, I'm putting on righteousness and true holiness. And righteousness is innocence. And when God looks at me and he sees his own righteousness as my covering, because love covers sin. He forgives, but then he covers it. Because he doesn't want us looking. You know, I've been here a long time. I could pick out the drug addicts and drug dealers here. I know who the alcoholics were. I know who the thieves were. I knew who the egomaniacs of self-righteousness were. But you don't. You don't. Because what you see are children of God. Saints of God. There's people here that were too good to be saved. There's two people here that weren't good enough to be saved. And they're all clothed with the same righteousness. For as many as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Put on that robes of those garments of salvation, the robe of righteousness. And he promised that he would forgive our sins and remember them no more. So while I remember my past, I have this confidence that when God looks at me, he sees only innocence. To become righteous, I have to be justified. And they taught us in Sunday school many, many, many decades ago that justification is God making my past just as if it had never happened. Nobody can do that but Jesus. Nobody can do that but Jesus. The Lord doesn't want you to live in your past. He wants you to live in the present whole, sound in Him, with a future in Him. That's what He wants of you and I. One last verse here before we go. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 11. And when the king came in to see the guests at the marriage feast of his son, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how came Camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Sister Wright, if you would come, listen to me carefully, please. The Lord told this story about the king throwing a wedding feast or putting on a wedding feast for his son who was married. We'd call it a reception. And because the king was a good king, he wanted people from all walks of life to come to the wedding feast. 
it was common for those that could afford to do it, for every invited guest who comes through the door to be given a wedding garment so that everybody looked the same. The only thing you had to do to get the wedding garment was to respond to the invitation of the king and come through the door. And at the door, you got the wedding garment. Just because you're sitting in the feast doesn't mean you've arrived. If you're trying to get there by avoiding the door. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the door. If any man come in, I'll sup with him. For as many as are baptized into Christ, Christ is the door. For as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Everybody can come through that same door. And everybody that comes through that door is going to get the same wedding garment. But when you're in the wedding feast without having the wedding garment on, it's proof that you did not come through the door. Now, you say that's unfair. It's not unfair. Everybody got the same invitation. And all you had to do to get the wedding garment was just come through the door. But Jesus said, I'm the door. And anyone that comes in any other way, the same as a thief and a liar. And the problem was, I don't know if he understood it or not. But not having the wedding garment on caused him to stand out like the proverbial sore thumb. As many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Have you come through the door? That's why the scripture says, on the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church, when the crowd gathered, Peter, the one that Jesus gave the keys to the kingdom to, preached with all the other 11 apostles standing with him. Peter standing up with the 11, preached to them. And they asked him, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. There's the door. That's the door. I didn't write this. Now, on the, on the birthday of the church, the first time a a, a preacher who was a part of the church preached a message. And the first time there was interest in responding to that message. And they said, men and brother, what shall we do? Don't you think the response to that question should be given great weight? And there it is. It's in your Bible. Look it up. But for those of you that have already been baptized, already put on Christ, I'm hoping that you'll come tonight and hear what to do about that because that's not the end of it. That's not the end of it. Thank you for your patience. My hope is that someday in your time of need, if you haven't not received this yet today, that you will go back. 
and you'll listen to this and realize that God has given you answers that if you would just receive them and believe them and act on them, they will change your life. They'll change your life. Father, I thank you for speaking to us today. I thank you for helping us today. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I loose the spirit of grace, mercy, and peace upon every individual in this place right now. That, Father, by your grace, you would work in us and put in us the desire to please you and empower us to be able to do those things that are pleasing in your sight. Those who have not put on your robe of righteousness, Father, I pray that you would move in their hearts and lives in Jesus' name. That you would draw them to you with bands of love. That they might be, their sins might be forgiven and that um, they might be covered with your robe of righteousness so that they can be brand new in you. Thank you for the promise, Father, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I claim that promise for myself and everyone that's sitting here and everyone that will, is listening or will listen to this message at a later time. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, let it be so. In Jesus' name, praise God. If you need to go, you're welcome to go. But if God is talking to you, if there's a still small voice speaking to your heart, if there are gentle tugs on your being from the bands of love, from the cords of God, I pray that you would respond. Either where you're sitting or maybe you need to act on what you're feeling and just get out of your seat and come down to the front. That doesn't save you. Coming to the front doesn't save you. But sometimes it helps to respond. Sometimes it helps to respond. Sometimes. If you need to go, you're welcome to go, but please do not disturb those that are praying around you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He wants to, he wants not to, he wants to not just pardon you of all your sins. He doesn't want you just to be pardoned. He wants you to let him make you innocent in him. He wants to cover you and your past with his righteousness. He wants to do that, but he can't force that on you. You've got to let him. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Let the Lord speak to you. Let the Lord help you. Let the Lord move upon your heart and life. Receive by faith what He is giving you. Receive by faith what He is saying to you. In the name of Jesus, let Him love you. I loose the spirit of the love of God in this place upon us today. In the name of Jesus, God, give us your grace to receive your love today. Father, give us your grace to receive your love today. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.
in the name of Jesus 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 Thou art give us the grace to receive Father in the name of Jesus give us the grace to believe Father in the name of Jesus hello Thank you, Jesus. When you're through praying, you're welcome to go. I'm not, I'm not telling you to go, not forcing you to go. I'm just saying it's time to go. Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can you make- 